Welcome to the Myth, Legend and Lore podcast. The Path of Ships, The Road of Ran, The Wave World. These kennings or poetic expressions from Norse mythology describe the sea, and the lore of which was so important to those who sailed upon her. A sailor could judge by the clouds in the sky and the colour of the water, ice blink or the currents and the feel of the wind, as to whether his journey might be one that safely covers many miles and more, or if two feet should be firmly kept ashore. Today we will discover goddesses and deities as ancient as the oceans in which they dwell. We know them as the Inuit goddess Sedna, the sea mother, from the Kalevala Velamo, the mother of water, Ran, wife of the Norse sea god Aegir and mother of nine waves, and from the northern isles of Scotland, the mother of the sea, Terran's benevolent adversary. Over the last few episodes, we have come to enjoy music at the end of each podcast, and today is no exemption. A truly haunting and beautiful song from the album Found by the incredibly talented Jen and Laura Beth. We have the song There Is A Time. I will of course include links to their album and social media in the podcast description. And so to the first of our goddesses, Sedna. Her name varies within Inuit myth. In Greenland, she is known as Arna Kwagsek, Sasuma Arna or Nervik. And in Canada, she also goes by the name of Nuliayuk. She was also known as the mother of the deep, the mistress of the sea, or the sea mother. And her role or story in the creation myth is intriguing and tragic. And just as her name varies from region to region, so too does her legend. In the versions of Sedna that exist, she is sometimes described as a giant, the daughter of Anguta, who is sometimes mentioned as the god of creation, and in others as a mortal man who lost his wife. His name means man with something to cut, and you'll hear why in a moment. She is often described as beautiful, though in some tales her nature is less so. In one story she is mistreated and outcast, but all of the versions agree on the creation of sea creatures from her hands. Here is one such tale. Sedna was a beautiful Inuit girl, and though many hunters wanted to marry her, She did not want to marry and refused their offers. Her father scolded her and begged her to realise that he was getting older, that she would have to take a husband who could care for and protect her. You must marry the next hunter who asks for you, her father said, but Sedna took no interest. It happened that one day a hunter from a faraway place came to her father's home. He kept his face hidden under his hood, but was dressed in warm furs and spoke with a kind voice. He promised to provide a good home and plenty of animals for food and clothing. Despite his hidden face, Sedna agreed to marry him. Sedna got into her husband's kayak and travelled with him to her new home. When they arrived at his island, the hunter pulled his hood away to reveal he was a raven. Aghast, Sedna saw her new home was not built of beautiful pelts, but was covered with wretched fish skins full of holes that gave free entrance to the wind and snow. Instead of soft reindeer skins, her bed was made of hard walrus hides, and she had to live on miserable fish, which the birds brought to her. Soon she discovered 
that she had thrown away her opportunities when in her foolish pride she had rejected the men who had offered for her hand. In her woe she sang, Aja, O Father, if you knew how wretched I am, you would come to me, and we would hurry away in your boat over the waters. The birds look unkindly upon me, stranger. Cold winds roar about my bed. They give me nothing but miserable food. Oh, come and take me back home, Aja. A long year passed before her father heard her cries of anguish. He was enraged that his daughter had been deceived, and he set out to rescue her. He paddled his kayak to the island where he found his daughter, and they fled. But as they paddled away from the land, Sedna looked back and saw that the raven was following them. As the raven came close, her father took his paddle out and struck the bird. But the raven flapped his powerful wings at the ocean and caused a huge storm to blow up. When her father saw that their lives were in danger, and he became afraid for his own life, he threw his daughter over the side of the kayak, but Sedna tried to save herself. She grasped onto the kayak with her fingers, but her father took his knife and sliced through her flesh and bone. As her fingers sank beneath the water, they transformed into seals and fish. Again, Sedna desperately pulled at the kayak with her hands, but this time her father took his paddle and beat them until he also fell into the water. As Sedna's body sank into the ocean, her hands turned into whales and walrus, and she was transformed into the spirit of the sea. It is said that Sedna dwells at the bottom of the sea, where she rules over all life there. She has the power to protect and the power to destroy. Offerings are made by those who wish to hunt and fish in Sedna's waters. When she withholds the creatures of the deep in anger, it is only the shamans who can visit her in the other world and persuade her to release them. Belamo Belamo is the goddess of the sea and water in Finnish mythology. In the Kalevala, she is the wife of Atul, with whom she dwells in their underwater realm of Atuloa. Meanings behind her name include to surge and swell, or to rock oneself, and from Veloa, the movement of water. She has been described as the mother of water. Her many daughters were the sea waves, and she shares characteristics with the Karelian Vednemo. I will explain why that is interesting in a moment. But she is also said to wear a blue dress made from the foam of the sea. She is beautiful and sometimes depicted as resembling a mermaid. Thelamo is a powerful being with the ability to calm the water or to stir and whip up the waves into a frenzied storm. While I have read sources referring to her as cold-hearted, she was also respected by fishermen and sailors who would pray to her for strong winds at their backs, a safe journey on the sea and a bountiful catch in their nets. With symbols of Velamo including fish, cows and seashells, I found it rather interesting that Velamo is said to have a magical herd that live in her underwater fields, but sometimes in the early morning mist she brings her cattle to the surface to eat. In Scandinavian folklore I have come across tales where people claim to have seen cattle grazing or walking in the shallow water, only to disappear below the surface when approached. The poetry that forms the basis of the Kalevala has an incredible history. Compiled from Karelian and Finnish mythology, ballads and folklore that were part of an oral tradition dating back to the speakers of the Uralic languages, Elias Lonrot researched, assembled and published the epic in 1849. It played a central role in the march towards Finnish independence 
and remains one of the most significant pieces of Finnish literature. Kalevala means land of heroes. It is the dwelling place of the poem's main characters, who I'll mention in a wee moment, and it is also the poetic name for Finland. Karelia stretches from the White Sea coast to the Gulf of Finland, where the Kalevala is also their national epic, and where we'll find the water goddess Betanamo. The mother of the waters of the Karelia region is said to resemble a mermaid, with the body of a fish and the torso and head of a woman. Her voice, much like a siren, lures humans deep within the depths of her waters. Fishermen used to offer her their first catch in order to appease Fedenhamel, and it was often thought to be a bad omen if one should come across her. Water is a key element in the Kalevala. It's quite exciting to talk a little bit about the goddess Velimo today. If, like me, you've been following Dan and Luke from the Northern Myths podcast and their series on the Kalevala, you might well have found yourself spirited away with this beautiful epic. For me, Finnish mythology is a wonderful world that is incredibly poetic and layered with metaphor and symbolism. When I decided to write a series of episodes with water as the theme, I knew I wanted the Kalevala to make an appearance. And the perfect way to bring this story to you is with Aino, who becomes one of Velimo's fair maidens. Through Aino, we discover the belief and power of water, and learn more about Velimo, who is mentioned many times in Reno 5, but not in great detail herself. Often we must try to decode and look further into symbols contained within mythology. By doing so, we learn so much more than if we accept tales simply at their face value. I will now try and give you a condensed description of the events leading up to the point where I will then read an extract from the poem itself. It was really hard trying to choose a verse. I could dedicate a series of episodes to this subject, and believe me, it certainly crossed my mind. Please do join the Northern Myths chaps for the Kalevala. And here is the reason why. In the creation, the virgin of the air descends into the sea. There she is transformed by the waves and the wind, and becomes the water mother. A teal builds its nest on her knee and lays eggs. The eggs fall from the nest and break. Out of the fragments, the earth, sky, sun, moon and clouds are formed. The water mother then creates capes, bays, seashores and the depths and shallows of the ocean. The water mother then gives birth to Vainamonin. Vainamonin lands ashore and finding no trees, he instructs them to be sown. An oak begins to grow so large and wide, it hides the sun and the moon. Eventually it is felled and the sun and the moon are free once more. Birds sing, the trees, herbs, flowers and berries grow on the ground, but barley will not grow. Vainamonin finds barleycorns on the sandy shore and fells the forest, leaving only a birch tree as a resting place for the birds. Grateful for this act, the eagle strikes a fire and the felled trees are consumed. Vainamonin sows the barley, prays to Ukko for its growth, and the barley begins to flourish. Vainamoinen's wisdom grows and he begins to compose songs. Yukahainen, a hero of the epic and Aino's brother, sets out to contend with him in wisdom. But when he cannot overcome him, Yukahainen challenges him to a duel. But Vainamoinen grows angry and sinks Yukahainen in a swamp by his magic songs. Yukahainen, in great distress and defeat, offers his sister Aino in marriage to Vainamoinen. The offer is accepted. Yokohainen returns to his family demoralised and tells them of his misfortune. 
The mother of Yukahainen and Aino rejoices that her daughter will wed Vainamoinen, but Aino is inconsolable. What must be understood is that Vainamoinen was born already an old man. Aino is a youth. She does not want the marriage and so finds herself with only one option left. Aino wanders sorrowfully in the woods, and when she comes upon a strange, unknown body of water, she sees water maidens swimming freely. In her desire for freedom, Aino drowns in the lake. From the Kalevala. Now the tidings were repeated, and the news was widely rumoured, how the youthful maid had perished, and the fair one had departed. Vainamoinen, old and steadfast, deeply sorrowed at the tidings, wept at evening, wept at morning, spent the livelong night in weeping. For the fair one who had, had perished, for the maiden who had slumbered, in the muddy lake down sunken, to the depths below the billows. Then he went, in sorrow sighing, while his heart was filled with anguish, to the blue lake's rocky margin, and he spoke the words which follow, Tell me, Untamo, thou sleeper, tell me all thy dreams, O idler, where to find the realm of Ato, where dwell Belamo's fair maidens. Sleeper Untamo made the answer, and his dreams he thus repeated. There has Ato fixed his country, there dwell Belamo's fair maidens. Near the cloud-encompassed headland, near the ever-misty island, in the depths below the billows, on the black ooze at the bottom. There Ato fixed his country, there dwell Vilamo's fair maidens, living in a narrow chamber, in a little room abiding, with the walls of varied marble, in the depths beside the headland. From the poem we learn of the power of water, of what the world of Vilamo represents, transformation and a symbol of feminine consciousness, and rebirth. What is also interesting is in Celtic mythology, water was also worshipped. It could be seen as a link or route to the other world, and the Norse goddess Ran and her underwater hall of the drowned. Ran. How shall the sea be referred to? By calling it Emir's blood? Visitor to the gods? Husband of Ran? Father of Aegir's daughters? Whose names are Hemingleva, Dufa, Lokuhada, Hefring, Un, Ron, Bilgia, Vara, Kolga, land of Ran and of Aegir's daughters. From the Skald Skapersmal. Ran does not appear in the mythological poems, but in Skaldic tales and verse we find many interesting and descriptive references to the sea goddess. From Skald Skapersmal to Hadatal and even in Eagle Saga, there are many clues allowing us to form an image of this impressive and formidable deity. She is listed by Snorri among the Asinir in the Skaldskapersmal and said to be the wife of Aegir, the giant of the sea. By Aegir, Ran became the mother of nine daughters. They were the waves of the sea or the wave or billow maidens. Heimdall, watchman of the gods, was born from nine mothers, all of whom were sisters. So it could be understood that the children of Ran and the mothers of Heimdall were one and the same. Ran, the tempestuous spirit of the sea, whose temperament coerced either waves or calm upon the surface of the oceans, would gather the drowning bodies of sailors in her golden net, dragging them down into the depths where they would dwell forevermore as guests in her hall. She was the ruler over the realm of the dead at the bottom of the sea. 
I will now share with you this tale contained in Skull Scaffer's mouth. Why is gold called Aegir's fire? The origin of it is in this story. Aegir, as was told before, was a guest to Asgard, and when he was about to return home, he invited Odin and all the Aesir to visit him after an interval of three months. Undertaking this journey were first of all Odin and Njord, Freyr, Tyr, Bragi, Vidar, Loki, and then Asinir, Frigg, Freya, Geffen, Skadi, Idun, and Sif. Thor was not there. He was away in the eastern parts killing trolls. And when the gods had taken their places, Aegir had a glowing gold brought into the middle of the hall, which illuminated and lit up the hall like fire. And this was used as lights at his feast, just as was in Valhall, when there had been swords instead of fire. Then Loki wrangled with all the gods there and killed a slave of Aegir's called Femifeng. The name of another of his slaves is Eldir. Ran is the name of Aegir's wife, and the names of their nine daughters are as written above. At this feast, everything served itself, both food and ale and all the utensils that were needed for the feast. Then the Aesir discovered that Ran had a net in which she caught everyone that went into the sea. So this is the story of the origin of gold being called fire or light or brightness of Aegir, Ran or Aegir's daughters. And from such kennings, the practice has now developed of calling gold fire of the sea. And of all terms for it, since Aegir and Ran's names are also terms for the sea. And hence gold is now called fire of the lakes or rivers and of all river names. A folk belief in the Icelandic sagas tells us when people were drowned at sea, they were thought to have gone to Ran. If they were to appear at their own funeral feasts, it was a sign that she had given them a good welcome. In Prithov's saga, it mentions that it was a lucky thing to have gold in one's person if they were lost at sea. And when caught in a terrible storm, the tale's hero hands out small pieces of gold among his men so that if they drowned, they would not go into Ran's hall empty-handed. When we regard Ran as the personification of the sea, we come across various names describing her as such, for example, Ran's Way, or Spray Cold Spay Wife, or this wonderful poetic verse contained in Snorri Sturluson's Hattatal. Sail shakes above the prince on the current maple, tall ships drive keenly, the shallows near Huggle are dangerous to the wave's horse. Noisy Ran does not create peace for the sea deer. She causes conflict for the cruisers. The entire wave breaks before the slender bow. Current maple, wave's horse and sea deer are kennings for ships. But perhaps the most poetic and powerful verse concerning Ran can be found in Sonatoric from Egil Saga. The saga itself tells the story of the long and brutal life of the 10th century warrior poet and farmer Egilskull Grimson, who was both a composer of beautiful poetry and a man capable of terrible brutality against his enemies. The love for his sons is evident in Sonatoric, that much is certainly clear. The poem of around 25 stanzas relates the deaths of Egil's sons and his utter despair and heartbreak at their passing. Gunnar, who died of a fever, and Bodvar, who drowned during a storm. I will read a couple of these stanzas for you just now. 
Harsh was the rift that the wave hewed in the wall of my father's kin. I know it stands unfilled and open, my son's breach that the sea wrought. The sea goddess has ruffled me, stripped me bare of my loved ones. The ocean severed my family's bonds, the tight knot that ties me down. If by sword I might avenge that deed, the brewer of waves would meet his end. Smite the wind's brother that dashes the bay. Do battle against the sea god's wife. In middle of the sea. We have now come to the last goddess of the deep, one who is perhaps the most benevolent of the mothers of the sea that we have discovered today. This tale comes from the Orkney and Shetland Islands, which lie in the wild and often turbulent seas off the north of Scotland. Water and nature play key roles in mythology. The myth of the Mother of the Sea is perhaps one of the oldest surviving tales of the island's folklore. Ernest Marwick commented on this in his book, The Folklore of Orkney and Shetland, when he wrote, The oldest and vaguest of these creatures are pure personifications of nature, never completely visualised and known only by their attributes. Such, in the myths of the Northern Isles, are the Mother of the Sea and Terran. There are some differences in how the Shetlanders and Orcadians regarded the mother, which is also the Scottish word for mother. In Shetland, the mother is a deity of the sea that could be invoked by fishermen for protection against the devil. While in Orkney, the mother was perceived as a benign spirit of the summer, one who calmed the fiercest of storms or filled the water with life and warmed the coldest of seas. In Terran, the winter spirit, we find an altogether different nature and one that is at odds with the mother. Her enemy and her greatest foe, with whom she must do battle each spring around the vernal equinox, Mark describes that they fought for the mastery of the sea in a terrible struggle known as the Vor Tully. Today I have woven in poetry, verse and tales throughout this episode, and I'm very much hoping that you've enjoyed it. Though I often conclude each episode with a piece of myth, legend or lore, I shall today read out a passage from Ernest Marwick's book on the subject of Mother of the Sea. He was a native Orcadian. He lived among these legends and folklore that we've been discovering over the course of the last few episodes. Please hold on to the end of the extract and listen for a moment to that beautiful song, There Is A Time. Extract from Ernest Marwick's Folklore of Orkney and Shetland. People heard Terran's voice in the roaring of the March gales and saw his anger in the savage onset of the waves. When the storm subsided, they knew that Terran had been overcome and that he lay bound and helpless at the bottom of the ocean. There, with now and then a convulsive struggle, he remained all summer, while the Sea Mother continued her beneficent and procreant reign. As the autumn came on, Terran's struggles grew fiercer, until at last he escaped from the fetters and renewed his battle with the Sea Mother. That fight, accompanied by shrieking winds and tattered skies, was known as the Gore Volley. Terran was victorious, and the Sea Mother was banished. For a while, every living creature had to submit to Terran's monstrous rule, but in the dreadful days of winter, the Sea Mother often heard the fisherman's agonised cry, and he knew that in spring, refreshed and invincible, she would triumph over her enemy once more.
was a time full of and laughter the days will pass like summer storms the winter wind will follow after but there is love and love is warm
Thank you for listening. As always, you can reach me on Gmail, mlidenlore at gmail.com or at loremyth on Twitter. I'm Siobhan Clark. Thank you for listening to the Myth, Legends and Lore podcast.